Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 267 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a conversation with our resident historian, educator, and musician, among other things, Surf William. We also have an EW essay titled Beautiful Flowers, and another installment of some work by early 20th century writer Edgar Lee Masters, read by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis. He's calling it the Edgar Lee Masters Project Part 2. We have a poem called Thickhead, and, of course, as is always the case, all of this will be complemented and infused with a wonderful energy via several great tunes. Thanks for being here. Let's get to it. Episode 267 of Troubadours and Tours.
beautiful flowers. I remember a woman of color from my town whose name was Beautiful Flowers. She had her own beauty shop. We crossed paths several times, but she probably wouldn't have remembered me, though I obviously still think of her on occasion. She was an extraordinarily kind and strong woman, as stories and general sentiment shared with me over a decade or so consistently communicated. She would guide young folk when they needed some guidance. She would set them up with a fine haircut, no charge, so they might feel better about themselves, or maybe so they would be more presentable at an interview or at an important function. I remember beautiful flowers as an individual who exuded a positive sort of earnest, humble vibe, steeped in an unassuming manner, with a depth of character and soul. Very nice hairdos as well. She was a matriarch, and though I barely knew her, it was clear to me that she mattered in my town to many of my fellow citizens. I hope someone took her place. I don't know this town now as I once did, but I will tell you it is still quite nice to think of beautiful flowers as the birds sing away on a warm spring day. Oh, 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 
How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I want to put you on speakerphone because we have a special guest. We have Surf William on the program, our resident historian this week. And uh, we'll be talking to the surf. I, I believe we'll start surf? with uh, the surf is in. fake news and the false narrative. Trump's condemnation oh. of capitalism. Facebook as a monopoly. And then we go off onto other areas from there. So uh, who's our special guest? We've got, um, we've got uh, the hobo. The global hobo is in from the south of France. The global hobo is in from the south of France. Two of Troubadours and Rock On Tours regular contributors for the price of one. What a treat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Your millions and millions of fans must be thrilled right now. Oh, a lot of copulation just occurred. Okay. All right. I'm pretty they're sure. Gonna pull you, they're going to pull you off the air. The FCC is going to come after you. Oh, we don't give a f- FCC? Forget about the FCC. <laughs> You're breaking all the rules today. You're crazy. Yeah, I'm sitting here naked, too. I was going to say, you might. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Great. That's usually my line. Yeah, I know. I figured I'd beat you to it. Usually you are. You claim to be naked in bed with a cup of coffee and your dog. Uh, but right, well, this guy, he's, he's naked in bed with his dog and me. Oh, beautiful. All right. Awesome. Love. Free love on Troubadours and Rock On Tours with these radicals, these leftists, these, well, Marxists. I don't want to go there. I know you guys have a bit of a difference in opinion regarding Marxism. Yeah, the hobo will yell at you for that, but I, I'm, sticking, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Marxists would, though, uh, I mean, do they... Traditional Marxists, uh, would they frown on, on um, same-sex relationships? Uh, traditional Marxists, well, golly, I really don't know. I suppose that depends on the Marxists. But you make it sound like a religion. I, I don't think that's even a concern of theirs. Well, it doesn't have to be religious-based to have a, a, a difficulty with something out of the quote-unquote norm in, in regards to sexual orientation. People are conservative uh, right, whether they're religious or not, sometimes regarding sexual Maybe. orientation. Aren't most people who call refer to themselves as Marxists either very, very young and don't really know jack about 
political theory yet, or they're college professors who live sort of sheltered academic lives and think that their thoughts have reality. You know what, Sir William? I think uh, you better watch it because the hobo is going to take your your twenty five minutes of fame this this month. No, I have no problem with that, and I have no problem uh, uh, with the with the with the idea that calling yourself a Marxist is a little bit inflammatory and a little bit a, a little bit provocative. Um, to me, it almost doesn't matter. It does bring attention to the fact that capitalism is seriously flawed. And even if you love capitalism, I don't think you can fully understand it without appreciating Marx's critique of it and an analysis of it. He was spot on in so many things he he um, he observed about capitalism in the middle of the 19th century. But was he a homophobe? That's what I want to understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a that's a burning question, and we really need to get to that. Yeah. Well, he did come from a, a conservative uh, German background, so you know who knows. He did have that beard. He had that beard. What he is was that? Married. He was he was he was very hetero. That marks. Yeah, probably so. Uh, and uh, a fake news and the false narrative you mentioned. Um, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Fox News, so I hope you're not alluding to that. No, I think everybody's missed the, the, the when I say the false narrative, I say, when I say false narrative, I say, when you, when you look at different news outlets, they make editorial decisions about what to report. And that doesn't make it fake news. That's just what they've decided is important and what they want their subscribers or their listeners or their viewers to know and to see. That doesn't negate what they're saying. That doesn't mean like a 15-year-old, you know, if you read the Fox, the Fox headlines pop up on my phone. The Fox headlines pop up on my phone every day. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that when they say 15-year-old caught sleeping with his dog and a snake in a Fort Lauderdale hotel room, that it didn't happen. It probably did happen. But it's clearly an attempt by Fox News to keep their viewers distracted from things that are happening, for example, in the Trump administration right now. Um, that doesn't make that fake news. Uh, Trump's narrative is not only simplistic, I think it's wrong. And besides, all of us talking here now have been um, crit critics of the corporate media for years and years and years, and the pap and the crap that they report calling it news when the real stories go unreported. So I hate this fake news narrative, but rather it shouldn't be fake news. It should be maybe censored news or selective news. Um, or news that serves your political ends, but not fake news. It's very rare. I mean, it does happen. We saw it in the Gulf War. But it's very rare that a news outlet reports things that are simply made up that never happened. Well, that happens, but that's very rare. Are, are you are you concerned? Are you upset about uh, when the Trump administration claims that something is fake news? Or are you more upset about uh, maybe the progressives or the left uh, saying that things happening at Fox is is not uh, what what they're putting out there is not really true no long before trump and his ridiculous claims we all were critics of the six o'clock news or the six thirty news we were all critics of corporate owned news media and i mean anybody who reads noam chomsky anybody who's traveled around the world and read newspapers from other countries from other countries perspectives sees that we get a very limited narrow um uh uh type of news reporting in America. 
Yeah, and then I can, I can add that this is completely uh, superficial, but I, I just want to throw this out there. If there's one conflict I have with millennials who have the Internet now and are very fond of talking about how, you know, they've seen through the, the corporate news and everything, that's really annoying when you're older and you've been screaming about it since the late 80s, if you see what I mean. Yes. Uh, this has been going on a long time. And the other side of it, which is to Donald Trump talking about fake news, it's it's like our friend Sir William here was saying, uh, that's, it's not new. Do you remember the Bush administration? And that's not even that long ago. Uh, with their notions of reality-based news, uh, which they were not dealing in. They were creating reality, that, and we were like, and, and then the media was reporting it, but they would create reality. I, I don't remember the exact terminology, but there was, there was a similar sort of lexicon that they introduced to talk about how they basically lied, you know, and manipulated things. So, and before that, I, I mean, going all the way back, since I, since I awoke to the fact that there was a political world, I've been pretty aware that it's all massage news and that Madison Avenue created modern politics in a way. So, yeah, there's nothing new to it. I, I'm There's nothing that new to Donald Trump except the style. He, he's just another crappy corporate president. We've had so many of them. I've grown up under them. You know, I, I don't see why people think that he's Armageddon. Uh, he's really bad. He's horrible. But we survived eight years of Bush when they were bombing indiscriminately and killing hundreds of thousands and we and America was officially torturing. You know, before that, the Reagan administration and the Iran-Contra affair, which was so twisted that it couldn't get its pants on. You know, uh, this is old. We, we've been watching it. Maybe it's getting worse because technology is better so we can be more efficiently and more powerfully corrupt. But it's still the same song we're singing. You know, uh, I, I'd like to say that um, when I said false narrative, I meant two things by that, not just fake news, but also the response to the alleged fake news that Facebook peddled leading up to the election. The solution isn't you need to better monitor who's posting things on your platform. The solution is educate your public to be good critical thinkers so they know how to analyze and th synthesize, seek out alternative news sources, and come to logical conclusions based on myriad sources of news, including sources that they trust that have shown to be, the, shown to be reputable over time. So what, what they're doing now is their solution to the quote-unquote fake news is censor it. Don't let that stuff on your platform. It's messing us up. Wrong. Let it all out there. Throw your crap at me. I'll easily be able to determine if it's valid or not by 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 fact checking it and that's our job as an informed citizenry but when we say to 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 facebook don't don't show certain kinds of information that's very troubling to me because i think you should put it all out there put it out in the marketplace and we'll decide what's right and wrong but we've lost that critical thinking skill and that's a lot more troubling than which platform is, is, is the purveyor of quote-unquote fake news. Well, well and you, you say, let me interject, you say we lost critical thinking. Did we ever have it, really? Uh, there, exactly. Propaganda has only gotten more efficient, it, but it's still the same thing. It's propaganda. I mean, it, politics is based on propaganda. You massage your message and you lie. So now it's infected news reporting, and there's all because it's so easy to put out material like that. But, you know, either we, we're smart enough to see through it and we deserve a better society, or we're not smart enough, and we don't deserve it. Right. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Sir William. Um, when you say 
we shouldn't be exp- asking them to, and I guess Facebook you're talking about, to, to, to keep certain things off of our uh, platforms. Are we doing that? I mean, is that, is that what the public is doing or is that what the government is doing? Uh, who, is, who is the they that is? Well, let's face it. Zuckerberg is before Congress now specifically because Facebook is accused of affecting the, uh, the um, outcome of the election because they allowed various nefarious sources to peddle information on Facebook that was, I guess, false information, less than true. I don't really know. But what I'm hearing now is what can – here's the question, the big, the big question that Zuckerberg was asked. What is Facebook going to do and what can Facebook do to restrict that stuff from showing up on Facebook's platform? And while that's a fine discussion to have, it's happening uh, absent the discussion about our critical thinking skills or lack of critical thinking skills. And that's a lot more troubling to me. I think you said fake book there at one point by accident. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was wondering if that was an accident. I thought maybe that was a thing now. I didn't, I, uh, I didn't mean to do that, but, but whatever. I mean, people need to take responsibility for not just their actions, but for their ability to determine what's factual and what's not factual. Now, I, I agree. Done for us. That can't be done for us. We have to do that. I don't know if it's a Herculean task that we can't accomplish, but that's clearly, ultimately, what has to happen. I think it is Herculean. Freedom, I think it is Herculean. Freedom of expression is not just one among our many rights, okay, that is sacred. It is, it is the base of everything. Without it, all the others crumble. So it's a very it's a very delicate question because you really are dealing with freedom of expression. You have the right to put out crappy fake news because once you start censoring, it, that's of course the great slippery slope, right? So I can right. see I can see Sir William's argument, or as I like to call him, Slave Billy's argument from that side. Uh, at, but it's a it's a tricky question because look, it, they're going after Facebook. Why? Because you know, the big deal is not even the fake stories that are put out. There's a, a very effective thing that sort of flies under the radar, and it's just the little memes that they produce, which seems so innocuous, right, that each tribe in our political our political culture is a, a series of tribes, right? And each tribe puts out its little memes with their crooked Hillarys or their, you know, orange-haired monsters. And those things spread very quickly because we like the quick joke, and it reinforces your, your tribal identification, and we don't think sophisticated in any complex way about politics anymore at all. You join a tribe and you root for that tribe. But in fact, if you begin to think about the real, uh, what's really in play between conservative and, and more leftist thinking, without even going to the extremes on the left of sort of Marxist thought or on the right of, of you know, Rand. Yeah, or white supremacist thought or, or the religious fundamentalists, you know, on both sides, it's identity politics, in fact, at the extremes. But there in the middle where the real questions yeah. between right and left are played out, you're dealing with questions of, well, how much do we want centralized authority? 
Right, right. We talked sure. about this before. Th- these are common right. themes that we we all, no matter what side you, yeah, you push, the p- rights position of yourself. Yeah, the rights of the community, you know, those those are real deep questions. And, and, you know, successful democracies or republics like ours generally govern from the center by finding some sort of homeostasis, some sort of equilibrium right. between the rights of the individual and those of the community. We're not even thinking about that. We're thinking about, you know, crooked Hillary, lock right. her up, lock him up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's adolescent. And Trump encourages all of that. It's very adolescent. Now, let me ask you this. Thank you for that, Global Hobo. By the way, you're listening to Surf William with special guest Global Hobo. Both are regular contributors to Troubadours and Rock On Tours. And uh, right now, I want to go back to something you you, uh, texted me you wanted to uh, address, um, Surf William. Trump's condemnation of capitalism. Why do you why do you put that out there that he's he's kind of condemning capitalism? I'm still shocked and disappointed that no major news uh, organizations really picked up on this and, and, and ran with it and, and expanded it. Trump ran, one of the key components of his, of his uh, campaign was how the worker in America, and for Trump, you know, the dog whistle message was, you know, you white people out in middle America. Trump's message was, you've been screwed by this system that we live in. It is not serving you anymore. Well, that system that we live in is capitalism. So when Trump says these free trade agreements, which are terrible, are sucking all the jobs and resources out of America and sending the wealth somewhere else, that's capitalism. Capitalism goes where it can make the most profit expending the least amount of resources, increasing money for its shareholders. So a free trade agreement is clearly going to favor a poor country with, a, with a, uh, a cheaper labor force. Why would capitalism not take its resources there? That makes perfect sense. So what I heard Trump saying was capitalism, as we practice it now, is not only failing, but has already failed. We need something else that's not capitalism. But nobody ever took it to that next step. They talked about renegotiating trade packs and bringing job, bringing manufacturing jobs back to America. That's not the issue. And that can't ever happen under an open capitalistic system, because why would capitalism go anywhere where labor costs are too expensive when it can go to some Southeast Asian country or South America where it can produce that thing a lot cheaper? So what I heard Trump saying was this current economic system, i.e. capitalism, isn't working or has failed. Well, you know what I think uh, Donald realized is that nationalism trumps capitalism in a message to get people motivated. You know, waving the flag and blaming the other and, you know, dividing on cultural issues. Uh, that's, he. you know, we are going to make it great again if you, if you support us. Nationalism trumps capitalism or anything else, I believe, for many. Well... Actually, if you want to really get technical about it, it's a it's a it's a pale reflection of national socialism. How do you figure? Well, because Trump is saying Trump is saying this current economic system isn't working. We need an economic system that favors this country. We're going to rearrange things so that we produce more jobs here. I mean, I mean, the Nazi party Nazi is national socialist. That's what Nazi is. And I think that it's this attempt to combine nationalism, like you said, with an economic philosophy, which ultimately turns out to be capitalism on steroids, if you follow it through to its logical conclusion. 
Yeah, and it's going to benefit, of course, the wealthiest. Uh, as did yeah. as did as did the economic system in Nazi Germany. All right. Just saying. Yeah, just saying. And uh, okay, how about um, this? This is kind of I think you addressed it already. In particular, uh, global hobo a couple minutes ago. Are are we here in the U.S. preoccupied with nonsense? Well, yeah. All right. For instance, the, the I, I sort of said as an aside, as William was was on that last uh, little monologue. That's a really good point about if, you know breaking down the fact that Trump supporting uh, or, or opposing the TPP during the campaign, the Trans Pacific Partnership, and that sort of thing, and talking about manufacturing jobs and uh, sort of dog whistling to middle America in the the midwestern states, blue collar America. Uh, and getting a lot of ex-Obama voters that way. That's exactly what he did. But at the same time, the notion, you know, pretending that there was any political philosophy at all of any kind behind any of that is either naive or just uh, ignorant because there was none. It's actually offensive when I hear people talk about Trump's strategies and and his long-term his long term machinations. That doesn't happen with Trump. No, no, total dogma. Yeah, even if there are political strategies, there's no political philosophy. No. no. Uh, in other words, it, he's not thinking in terms of, the, you know, the fact that he's opposing uh, a capitalistic philosophy by opposing, the, you know, the, the, the sort of expansionist, you know, mm-hmm. the corporate exodus of jobs uh, and, 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 and middle class America just getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that he, he's talking about that is only to get votes. That's it. it. Is, no That's political it. philosophy. He's a narcissist. It doesn't even occur to him to think about it, I, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. You know, he what is he, 70 now? But uh, at the same he, time, let's say this. Hillary well, hold on, hold on a second. I want no better. What's that? Hillary's out there playing identity politics. Yeah, she doesn't have I, coherent I don't want to talk about Hillary so much right now. But but let's let's uh, let's go on. Let's shift gears. I'm getting sick of talking about Trump, to be honest with you. And I think I think sometimes <laughs> listeners get sick of it, too. Um you are listening to Troubadours and Rockon Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Let's let's look at middle age. You know, you guys are middle aged, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know where can it go from here? I mean, the grave, the grave. That's it. Yeah, slow, steady decline into the grave. And Being I, born is a death sentence. And. Uh, <laughs> How do you, how do you how are you dealing with middle age? You know, you're looking at we're talking about the the state of Drugs. affairs in our country. We're talking about the state of affairs and you know on on the planet. And when we're young, when we were younger in our twenties and stuff, we were more idealistic, perhaps more hopeful, perhaps. And now we we, we we sound cynical. You know, we sound like it's all it's all the same old crap. We're getting abused. We're getting taken advantage of. We're getting lied to. Look at the fools in charge. And at the same time, looking at the fact that the grave is closer than ever before. How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, I, I'm not so sure that I was ever not cynical. But how do you deal with that? Surf William. Uh, we talked about this. Hobo and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, there's a, it's, the, it's the balancing act between, between nihilism and fatalism and the understanding that, well, where does this end? I, you know, it ends with that long dirt nap. But in the meantime... Maybe another way of looking at it is it's funny because we were just talking about this exact same thing. Another way of looking at it might be, okay, I know that death is inevitable, but for a very brief, for a very, very brief, you know, blink of the eye in the cosmos, I get to be here. I get to live. 
I get to walk through the woods. I get to experience some love in my life. And okay, that's what I get for a very short time. I'm going to enjoy that while I can because I know that it's finite. And that's going to have to be good enough for me. We said uh, religion is another response to that. You know, this idea of, of being dead forever is a little bit overwhelming for the human mind to comprehend. So what does the human mind do? The human mind says, don't worry. There's this other place you go to when you die. That's what a lot of people do to cope with the inevitability of death. But other people say, I'm not going to buy into this myth that, you know, there's a guy on a throne up in the sky waiting for me. I'm going to live here and now. Stephen Hawk, I think Stephen Hawking said this. I'm going to live here and now and appreciate what I got right now in the, in the, in the tangible world as best I can. And in middle age, and let me tell you something else. I'm approaching 52. God, it's unbelievable. I'm as happy now as I've ever been in my life. I can honestly say that. Well, that's so what does that mean? So what does that really all mean? Yeah, I, I I don't know, but it's good that you're happy. You know, it's that's really uh, that's 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 something to be, uh, I think, pleased about. Given the fact that you do kind of understand the machinations of the world and the inevitable uh, end, uh, it's good that you're happy. So I think happy is not the right term. I think I should say grateful. Grateful. I, every day, every day, I try to find something to be grateful for. And I, I consciously do that. That's a conscious act. When I get up and I walk to get my coffee, I'm grateful I can walk. When I'm drinking my coffee, I'm grateful I have a warm cup of coffee. I really try to pull those things out of my day, just being grateful for what I have. If that is your philosophy, usually you can find something to be grateful for. And I don't like the term happy. I think it's a very imperfect term that I'm not shooting for. I'm shooting for gratitude. That's my ultimate goal. Gratitude. Oh, you know, I wanted you to share a snippet of wisdom, surf wisdom, and I think you did, Surf William. Uh, believe it or not, gentlemen, the global hobo and Who surf William, we, <laughs> we, we're just about done this go around with uh, the time we have to talk. Um, <clears throat> any any uh, brief, and I emphasize brief, closing thoughts to share with the, the, the throngs of listeners on Troubadours and Rock on Tours? I need more coffee. <laughs> we both need more coffee. Yeah, I appreciate you doing it without uh, too much coffee in your system. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure to to hear your voices. I'm I'm very uh, happy to have you as part of the program. And uh, what are your plans for today? We are going to take a walk in the woods. It's a beautiful day right now, and um, probably have a decadent lunch. Uh, drink too much alcohol, and then um, see where the see where the day leads. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing some time. And uh, let's let's all put our clothes back on and go out into the world. How about how about it? By the way, I'm following the little league standings and I expect your team to be in first place. Okay, don't disappoint us. Oh, I will tell them it's win or put you know, put your, your head between your legs in shame. That's my message to the team. <laughs> You're motivational, EW. <laughs> Thanks so much, gentlemen, for sharing some time with me. Peace and love, brother. Peace and love. Ciao. Ciao.
The Edgar Lee Masters Project, Part 2 Readings from Spoon River Anthology A collection of first-person poems about the inhabitants of a small town, all of whom are dead. The collection was originally published in 1915. Robert Fulton Tanner If a man could bite the giant hand that catches and destroys him, as I was bitten by a rat while demonstrating my patent trap in my hardware store that day. But a man can never avenge himself on the monstrous ogre life. You enter the room that's being born and then you must live, work out your soul. Aha, the bait that you crave is in view. A woman with money you want to marry, prestige, place, or power in the world. But there's work to do and things to conquer. Oh, yes, the wires that screen the bait. At last you get in, but you hear a step. The ogre, life, comes into the room. He was waiting and heard the clang of the spring to watch you nibble the wondrous cheese and stare with his burning eyes at you and scowl and laugh and mock and curse you running up and down in the trap until your misery bores him. Cassius Hoofer they have chiseled on my stone the words. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, This was a man. Those who knew me smile as they read this empty rhetoric. My epitaph should have been, Life was not gentle to him, and the elements so mixed in him that he made warfare on life in which he was slain. While I lived, I could not cope with slanderous tongues. Now that I am dead, I must submit to an epitaph graven by a fool. Sarepta Mason My life's blossom might have bloomed on all sides, saved for a bitter wind which stunted my petals on the side of me which you in the village could see. From the dust I lift a voice of protest, my flowering side you never saw. Ye living ones, ye are fools indeed who do not know the ways of the wind and the unseen forces that govern the processes of life. Amanda Barker Henry got me with child, knowing that I could not bring forth life without losing my own. In my youth, therefore, I entered the portals of dust. Traveler, it is believed in the village where I lived that Henry loved me with a husband's love, but I proclaim from the dust that he slew me to gratify his hatred. Constance Hately 
You praise my self-sacrifice, Spoon River, in rearing Irene and Mary, orphans of my older sister. And you censure Irene and Mary for their contempt of, for me. But praise not my self-sacrifice, and censure not my their contempt. I reared them. I cared for them, true enough. But I poisoned my benefactions with constant reminders of their dependence. Chase Henry In life I was the town drunkard. When I died, the priest denied me burial in holy ground. The witch resound, redounded to my good fortune. For the Protestants bought this lot and buried my body here, close to the grave of the banker Nicholas and of his wife Priscilla. Take note, ye prudent and pious souls, of the cross-currents in life which bring honor to the dead who lived in shame. Thick-headed, fake clothes the emperor chose, grab tightly his buttocks, as his circuitous inner thighs rub starting fires, as sparks collide after missing their marks. He attempts another performance for reasons not other than those that might benefit his thick-headed empire. But let's not go dire, and be sure to keep a fair distance from his head of hair on narcissist fire, with that 
blow dryer of yours as the political left in our country despondently demures. Take it.
expectation just to be here in the present and behold you for a second before it all goes away. Have it, episode 267 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our resident historian and regular contributor, Surf William, with a guest appearance of another one of our regular contributors, the Global Hobo. Thank you, gentlemen, for sharing some great conversation and a bit of fun with us all and I'd like to thank associate producer for the program Dr. Michael Pavis for sharing some quality writing that of Edgar Lee Masters early 20th century writer i also like to thank of course these musical artists Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli the Marlocks, Beck, Jimmy Cliff and the Grateful Dead, Wanda Jackson, Dispatch, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. Until next week, why don't we enjoy this one? Thanks so much for listening.